We take our uh, text on a Sunday morning like this from our upcoming Wednesday study. Um, we'll see the whole context of this story. And um, there's a little verse that kind of catches the attention that I think is kind of interesting. And I would never use this as a proof text or, or anything like that about you know something we should do or think. But it, it, to me, this little sentence sparks a discussion that really is relevant today and uh, what's going on in the world. And I think it might be worth our consideration. It's just a little verse here, chapter five. Um, pardon me, chapter seven, verse five. It says this, Luke seven, verse five. It says, for he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. This is something we learn in the gospel of Luke that's not in Matthew chapter eight. We, we studied several months back when we were in the gospel of Matthew, the story of the centurion. You know, the centurion, that uh, he's a Roman soldier. Uh, did the Jews like the Roman soldiers? No, uh, why? Well, they'd been under the iron fist of Rome for a long time. In fact, they will be under the iron fist of Rome for a long time. The Romans were there, if you count the Byzantine era, the Romans were in charge of that region of Israel and, and Judea for 666 years. Kind of interesting number, uh, but that, that's how many years they were o over that region. So it was a long, oppressive time, you know. And, and the Jews, they, there, was, there was Jews that hated uh, the Romans so bad. There, there was a group called the Zealots, and they were sort of the guys that said, let's try to, you know, uh, off the Romans, you know, and, and uh, you know, they tried to get them whenever they could, but um, it was a small, too small to really make a dent in the Roman Empire. But be that as it may, there's this shocking little story where you know, the Jews come running to Jesus saying, hey, there's this centurion whose servant is sick and he's hoping you could help him out. And, um, and, and they, they say something that's interesting. If you back up in verse four, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying that he uh, was worthy of whom he should do this. Um, they said that this Roman centurion, he, he's a worthy dude. Like you, you gotta help him out. Now, when Jesus comes to the centurion, the centurion says, I'm not worthy, no, uh, but you're worthy. Like, like, he's quite a guy, the centurion. But why were the Jews so up for Jesus to go and help? This is stuff, again, like in the Gospel of Luke, we learn kind of more about the details. Um, you know, in Matthew's account, it's very practical. We hear about the healing of the servant and Jesus's great power to heal, which is an awesome part of the story in Matthew 8. But Luke's account gives us a little deeper dive and we'll do all of that on Wednesday night. But, but what is interesting to me is you've got this Roman centurion and it says here, verse five, he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. The Jews are kind of like, this guy's good because he loves, he loves our nation. A Roman centurion that loves the Jews, that, that's something you just didn't hear of every day. Um, you know, anti-Semitism, hatred for the Jews has been bubbling in the earth from the very beginning of Judaism. Um, you know, if you, if you realize, you know, the Jews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, they end up in Egypt where they're slaves. They're enslaved for 450 years. That's the beginning of their nation. The nation of Israel started as slaves for 450 years. What's the difference between American slavery and our horrible history in that here in the United States versus what's happened to the Jews? Because I've noticed people will try to equate the two. Well, you know, there's a bunch of people groups that have been oppressed and you know, enslaved and, and the Jews are just one of the many. Um, the main difference between what has happened to Jews over the millennia 
versus may, maybe like you know, the, the slavery of the deep south and all that of our early nation's history, which is a horrible black eye on our nation. Um, and we, we um, hopefully have regretted that horribly. But at the same time, I would argue that what's happened to the Jews is far worse than slavery. Because the one thing that the, the world has tried to do on several occasions is not just enslave the Jewish people, but to totally exterminate them, ethnically cleanse them. Isn't it interesting that the narrative you'll hear out on the road today, uh, if you're down in Portland at the, you know, at the uh, protests, the pro-Palestinian protests and what have you, um, the, the narrative is the Jews are ethnically cleansing the Palestinians which is interesting because I've, I've been there. I know Palestinians in the Middle East. I have friends there. I've spent time with them. And um, some of the Palestinians, they, they actually love living in Israel. They, they just wanna be Israeli citizens. Um, it's, it's actually an interesting thing that, that, that college professors, you know, the cardigan sweater pipe puffing professors in colleges and universities, they've been you know, giving this crazy narrative to a lot of our students for a long time now you know, the Jews are ethnically cleansing uh, the Palestinians and all this stuff. And um, it's such a, f uh, you know, not even close to truth. Um, and yet that's the narrative and people believe it. And, uh, and yet the, the group that's been targeted more than any single group in the world, in the world's history, are the Jews. Whether you're talking about, you know, uh, you know Pharaoh from Egypt, they're beginning as a nation. He was trying to exterminate Jews. Remember he, he uh, killed all the babies, was killing all the babies there in Egypt of Jewish, Jewish women, like this is a history of Israel. Now you got Haman who wanted to exterminate the Jews uh, under King Ahasuerus, if you remember that part of history. Uh, there were all kinds of groups, Antiochus Epiphanes in the 170 BC era, you know, he wanted to wipe, he, he killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of Jews in his conquest of Judea. Um, and it goes all the way to modern times. You know, that was Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf and, and it was eventually the final solution is to wipe out all of the Jews from off the face of the earth. They've been targeted more than any single group and yet the narrative today are the Jews are ethnically cleansing uh, a tiny group called the Palestinians. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see what's going on over there. And, and, um, and, and part of this, this little um, sentence here in Luke that sparks the conversation is here's a guy who should have, not liked the Jews, that the Romans really hated the Jews um, and the Jews hated the Romans. But here's a Roman centurion who loved Israel and he built them a synagogue. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Maybe he built them the synagogue where they were in Capernaum there. Um, that synagogue is a place you can see archeologically today. The synagogue, the foundation there is there and some of the walls still stand of the, of the synagogue that was there in the first century during the time of Christ. Maybe that's the synagogue this centurion helped build. But the people said, this guy loves our nation and he helped us build a synagogue. Would you please go help him? And Jesus goes and helps him. And you know the story. We'll see it on Wednesday that he goes and heals the centurion's servant. And, and, and Jesus marvels at this centurion. He says, no greater faith have I seen. No, not in all of Israel. Even among the Jews, I haven't seen faith like you, dude. The centurion had serious faith. Um, what an amazing guy, this centurion. But he, but he was a, a guy who loved Israel. And it, it begs the question, because the big argument that we're seeing today is, should we love Israel or should we hate Israel? And there's, have you noticed, there's not a lot of room in between. Um, we're seeing all kinds of anti-Semitism rising. Did you see, I mean, if you're watching or tracking this, we've, we've been watching this for years. If you know, you know, prophecy updates, we talk about what the Bible says about the future of Israel and the future of the Jews. But Washington Post just um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the high tide of American anti-Semitism 
makes Israel attacks foreboding. In other words, Israel going in to uh, root out Hamas in Gaza um, is, is a tricky thing because the world is making the narrative, those Jews are going in there to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians. Um, that's not what the Jews are doing. The Jews are simply trying to root out those that seek to destroy Jews. Um, I've been there in Israel when 4,000 rockets came from Hamas over the border from Gaza into Israel. I've been there during those attacks. And you know, if you live in Israel having rockets flying over your head all the time, uh, that's a problem. You need to stop that. If you had rockets going over in your, your house every day, you'd kind of think, yeah, we need to probably stop this. What would the United States do if 4,000 rockets flew from Canada into, into um, you know, Montana, Bozeman, Montana, boom, boom, boom. What would, you, what would you say? Oh, well, you know, they're just, they're an oppressed people and we're occupying, you know, the, the state of Montana because the Indians were here before us and, and we're just occupiers because the Indians were here. Um, we'll talk about that. Is that the same comparison? Uh, you know, the, what we did to the Indians? Is that what the Jews did to the Palestinians? Um, the funny thing is that's sort of the narrative, but it's not even close to what is actually true. And so there's rage and people are protesting all over. Maybe you've been seeing some of this pro-Palestinian rallies in Boston, New York, downtown Portland, you know, uh, all the colleges and universities. We have college professors saying that it was exhilarating to see the Hamas go and behead babies and, um, you know, cut children out of the womb of the mother and then behead the uh, unborn. Like, like, it was exhilarating, the college professor uh, from Columbia University declared. Um, you know, and, and how, how does that narrative start to get traction in our country? Well, as it turns out, um, this whole conflict that started a few weeks ago, uh, a couple Saturdays ago, has brought all the people out of the woodwork that are saying, we hate Israel. And then it's not just the secularists, which is kind of shocking. It's actually, there's, there's a little bit of this hatred and vitriol that comes from the church itself. Where does that come from? Why would pastors and churches, some of them, say, well, those Jews, you know, they kind of get what they deserve and, uh, you know, they shouldn't be, you know, ethnically cleansing down there and, and uh, you know, forget the Jews, leave, you know, it's leave, they need to be nice to those poor Palestinians. And where does that worldview come from if, if you're a Bible-believing Christian? Um, it's interesting because it's not just the Washington Post, but others, you know, MSNBC, uh, you know, that bastion of truth, um, they, they actually are saying that evangelical Christians are the problem. They're the reason the whole Israeli conflict continues, um, which is kind of an interesting perspective. Should we as Christians, here's the question, should we as Christians care about Israel? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of Christians that are saying no, a lot of Christians. Um, and I say a lot, you know, you say, well, how many? Come on, there's got a few. No, most of Christianity um, and it has to do with this doctrine of replacement theology. That is where God did love the Jews at one time. Uh, they were the chosen people at one time. But when they crucified Jesus, um, they rejected Jesus. Thus, um, they're no longer God's people. And God's people are people who follow Jesus, believe in Jesus. So you'll see on the blogs and the posts and the social media, you'll see the, the, the comments, those Jews are, you know, those horrible Jews, they crucified Jesus. They need to repent and accept Jesus. 
Um, uh, they're no longer God's chosen people. And then the replacement theology people, some of the you know, uh, new covenant reform people, they'll hear pastors that you probably like and hear on, online all the time. You don't realize it, but they're actually replacement theology. They, they, don't, they don't like the term replacement theology. I'll just give you that. They'll say, oh, we don't believe in replacement theology. We just believe that God's done with the Jews. And now the church is God's chosen people. Replacement. Uh, they don't wanna call it that, but that's what they believe. Um, is that what happened? Is God done with the Jew? Um, and, and this is something that I, I feel like it's important, not only for you to maybe know the answer, because I think some of you really do, but can you defend it and talk about it? I'm gonna just simply show you um, why I believe the Bible teaches that we as Christians who love Jesus, have accepted Christ, why would we ever care about Israel? What, what should make us care about Israel? And it really gets down to something that's pretty logical and pretty simple. Of course, logic has gone out the window today, so people don't use logic, so I'm uh, sorry if this is new to you. But, but uh, let, me just, let me just try uh, something very logical. If God cares about something or someone, should Christians care about whatever God cares about? Yeah, that's pretty easy. It's, it's a logical conclusion. Therefore, if Christians care about God, they should care about Israel and the Jews and their nation. Um, why should believers care about Israel? I, I had the privilege, Debbie and I went and had dinner with Benjamin Netanyahu's son, Yair, uh, a couple years ago. And the reason he was willing to meet with us is because um, he was kind of going around the country of the United States, sort of trying to encourage support for Israel among evangelical Christians. Uh, now, I don't really dub myself an evangelical Christian because evangelical Christians do wacko things sometimes. And I don't wanna always say, I'm part of that group, you know, sign me up. Uh, so I'm not defending that particular nar narrative, but, but you know, Yair realizes, along with his dad, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, you know, we, 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 they, they say, wow, one of the most supportive groups of Israel are Christians. So the funny thing is Yair, Yair came over here just to kind of bolster that, you know. Um, and we sat at dinner and he, he talked about, well, you know, you guys were thankful for your support because, you know, and he, he, he was trying to encourage our support and he was, he was making all these appeals. You know, Israel's your only friend in the Middle East. And I was like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, and Israel, they're militarily, they're, they're sound. And yeah, yeah, I know that. And the economy of Israel, like he was trying to bolster our support. Um, but but um, I had to tell him after dinner, um, I, I said, you know, all those reasons, I, I get them. I understand your logic there, but that's not why we support you. Why do we support the Jews in Israel? Is it because they're awesome? No. Is it because they're godly? No. Is it because they're even good? Nope. In fact, I can't defend a lot of things Israel does sometimes. I wouldn't even try. Um, I do think Israel is trying to be good actors in the Middle East, uh, unlike pretty much everybody else in the Middle East. And I can defend a lot of their behavior, but. They're unbelievers for the most part. If you go to Tel Aviv, 70% of Jews in Tel Aviv are atheists. So people make the mistake thinking that, well, Christians support Israel because they think they're awesome and really good and they're believers. And nope, nope, they're actually in unbelief right now in total rebellion against God. So that's not why we support them. So why, did, what, why do we? Well, I'll tell you guys kind of the same things we talked to Yair about. Why, do, why should Christians care about Israel. Here's three simple reasons. I'm not gonna keep us long, but these are things I think you should be familiar with because you will be tested on this uh, as we get closer and closer to the end of the world. Why will you be tested on this? Because the whole world's gonna hate Israel more and more. We know this end of the story. It's gonna actually 
the, the end of the world as we know, it's gonna, you know, this sounds comical when you talk about it because people are like, oh, Armageddon, yeah, right. No, it's a real thing. What's the battle of Armageddon all about? All the nations of the world hating Israel and going toward Jerusalem wanting to wipe out Israel. The whole nations, all the nations. That's where it's all gonna end. We're seeing um, the, the movement toward Armageddon. I'm not saying it's tomorrow or uh, I, I believe it's, it's several years off at least um, because it's gonna happen toward the end of the tribulation period. If you know your eschatology, that, that's, we as Christians, we're, we're not gonna be there for that. <clears throat> uh, well, we will, but it's a different deal. Uh, we're gonna come with Christ at that point, but that's a whole nother story. But um, the reason I, I believe we should care about Israel is the first, number one, God's covenant with Abraham. Um, God made a covenant with Abraham. Now the replacement theology people make the argument, God broke, God said, uh, I'm, I'm no longer gonna keep my covenant with you because you broke your end of the deal. Now, did the Jews keep their end of the bargain with God? Well, the answer is no. Um, but you gotta understand, there's parts of God's covenants and different kinds of covenants in the Old Testament where there were certain things dependent on whether the Jews kept their part of the bargain. Like for example, uh, there's a lot of if-then statements in the book of Deuteronomy and the law of Moses. If you keep my statutes and commandments and judgments, then I will protect you from your enemies. That's an if-then statement. And the Jews, they didn't keep statutes and commandments and judgments. They started worshiping pagan idols and sacrificing children on altars to Moloch. And the Lord said, I'm not gonna bless that. I'm lifting my hand of protection off of you and you're gonna be toast. And sure enough, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, you know, Babylonians uh, in 586 BC came and crushed Jerusalem. Why? Because they were so rebellious against God. But see, here's the mistake people make. They think, well, see, God forsook them. Well, no, the, the, the problem is the Jews did that to themselves, but God never, God never will forsake his people. At least you better hope that. Because if God forsakes the Jews, why wouldn't he forsake you? Like, think about that for a second. If God made a covenant with the Jews, what in the world keeps God from breaking his covenant with you? Well, I'm saved by grace. How do you know if God breaks his covenant? I'm kind of sick of Pastor Brett. I think I'm done with him the Lord could say, and he'd be right to say that. But is that the God we serve or is God actually a keeper of his covenant? Well, this is where you need to know a little bit about this covenant. The covenant really starts um, in Genesis chapter 12. Would you flip over to Genesis 12? I'll show you where the covenant with Abraham, the father of the Jews uh, really begins. It's Genesis chapter 12. And there's like five different components of the initial covenant that he makes with Israel right here. Five components that I'll show you. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, it says there in Genesis chapter 12, verse one. It says, now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Right there, there's, there's, there's five components to that that are noteworthy. Let's kind of break them down quickly here. God's covenant with Abraham. Number one, the promise of property. He says, um, I'm gonna take you from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. Now you say, well, he showed him the land, but did he give him the land? Well, yes, uh, the, there's other pastors says, I give you this land, this is your land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's defined several times in the Bible, the parameters of that land. And by the way, it's not just from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which kind of defines Israel today. 
Um, but it actually goes from the Euphrates River in Iraq all the way to the Nile River in Egypt. Um, has Israel ever possessed all the land that the Lord promised them? No. In fact, at their peak in Solomon's reign, they possessed one-tenth at their peak, one-tenth of what God promised them. When are they gonna possess all of it? During the millennial kingdom. The Bible says when Christ returns, he's gonna rule and reign from Jerusalem. And I believe that's when we'll see the full possession of, uh, of the Holy Land, or as you call it, or Israel. Um, the, the land of the Jews is gonna be um, uh, much bigger than it is right now in the millennial kingdom. But all that to say, the Lord says, I, I'm gonna give you land. Now, this, this is something I wanna talk about just for a second because everybody thinks it's about the land, this Arab-Israeli conflict. It's not, it's not about the land. And the reason we know that, if you've been following this for longer than 10 minutes, um, the, the Jews have offered land for peace over and over and over. Did that ever produce peace? It was Moshe Dayan, the guy with the patch, if you're old enough to remember him, as they marched into Jerusalem and took over the Temple Mount after being attacked by Arabs for years, the Jews defended themselves and took the, from the 1967 borders, they pushed it back and they took the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And, and the Jews celebrated weeping, we're, we have finally the place of our temple, we, we, we have possession of the land again. And Moshe Dayan, 10 minutes later said, we're giving the Temple Mount back to the Arabs. And the Jews to this day don't know why Moshe Dayan did that. But I think he thought land for peace. We'll give you the Temple Mount, just a good gesture of peace. How's that worked out for them? You know, the Temple Mount is the most tense place on the planet if you've ever been there. Uh, it's where skirmishes really begin between Islam and Judaism and Christianity, frankly. Um, it's a very tense thing. They gave the Gaza Strip. Remember Ariel Sharon drove out all those poor Jewish families out of their homes saying, we're gonna give the Gaza Strip over. Uh, what was that, 2006, I think? Gave it all over. Uh, how'd that work out, land for peace? Since then, the Gaza Strip has rockets by the thousands, tens of thousands, flying from Gaza Strip into Israel. The land for peace thing never works out. It was Ehud Barak, who was the prime minister at the time, who uh, at Camp David offered the kitchen sink to the Palestinians uh, for two-state solution. We'll divide it all up and give it all. There's no bigger deal that was ever offered to the Arabs. It was so generous of the Jews Everybody was furious with Ehud Barak. They said, what are you doing? You're offering all of our land to the you know, Palestinians. We, we won't even be able to defend our land with what you're offering. And Ehud Barak's answer was, I knew they wouldn't take it. I offered it to them because they don't want some of the land or half the land. They want all of the land because it's not about the land. It's about getting rid of the Jews. It's about exterminating the Jewish people. And they don't even hide that. If you ever listen to the president of Iran, he's all, remember when, uh, I think Ahmadinejad was the biggest mouth, the previous um, uh, you know, president of Iran, he would say, we're gonna drive the Jews into the sea. We're gonna wipe them off the earth, you know, and the Holocaust never happened. It's a figment of the imagination of the Jews. Like this is, these are, this is a, the leader, supreme leader, you know, of Iran saying these things. Um, and yet uh, these proxies of Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, funded fully by the Iranians, their objective is not a state, a divided state. That's, that's the West, that's the president of the United States. The goal is to make a two-state solution. The United States wants that. Um, even though the Bible says um, they're gonna seek to divide Jerusalem in half in the last days, and the, the, the nations that do that, they're handling a cup of trembling, like a cup of poison. That's what the Bible says. 
So anyway, it's not about the land, but what's interesting, if we do make it about the land, the Jews have a really good case about the land. I'll tell you why, and this is part that's not being taught in your pipe puffing, cardigan sweater wearing professors of college. Um, this is the truth of the matter. Um, see, they, they demonized the, the Zionists, those horrible Zionists. You know, it's funny. Uh, um, did you notice Joseph Biden said uh, to um, Netanyahu this week, I am a Zionist. Did you guys see that? He said, I am a Zionist. And, and the world kind of went, oh, what did he just say? Because Zionism is the bad word. Um, now I'll talk about on Friday night, why Biden is saying that. Because I think there's a, there's a reason you should know. Um, but Zionism, what is Zionism? It's the Jews hostily taking over the Holy Land. Well, that's not, that's not what it is. Zionism happened, it started really primarily in the 1700s. Theodore Herzl, a Jew who was realizing that there's no safe place on the planet for Jews. Too many times where people groups tried to exterminate Jews. Um, there was an, a, a, a little event called the Dreyfus Affair back uh, in the 1700s where um, a French guy, Jew, was falsely accused of treason and they wanted death to the Jews. They chanted death in France. They were in Paris. They were death to the Jews. And, and that's when Herzl, uh, what, the Jews were saying, man, we've got to have a place where we're not going to be sought to be exterminated. So they started saying, let's go back to our original homeland of Abraham, our father, of thousands of years. And the, so what did the Jews do? The, the narrative, you'd think the Jews, Herzl and all the Jews in the 1700s went down there and killed all the Palestinians and drove them out. Is that what happened? There were no Palestinians there. Did you know that? Um, in fact, there's no such thing as a real Palestinian. Brett, I can't believe you just said that. No, it's true. When did the Palestinian nation start? What's their beginning date? Who are the Palestinian people? Um, well, if you know, the Palestinians are actually Jordanians. The Palestinians are Arabs who the, the Arab people, once Israel became a nation, the Arab people said, you guys have to stay in Israel. You can't come into our nations because you got to be sort of placeholders in the Holy Land of Israel, holy to the Muslims, holy to the Christians, holy to the Jews. Um, you got to stay there uh, and suffer. Uh, by the way, you, you, did you know there's more Palestinians in Jordan than there are in Israel? And if you go see the way Palestinians live in Jordan, the, the Arab country next to Israel, I've been to the Palestinian refugee camps in Jordan. It's worse. It's a horrible situation. Um, and you say, well, Brett, why is the world decrying horrible treatment of the Palestinians by the Jordanians? The reason? Nobody cares. It's all about the Jews. It's about the Jews. Uh, they want to off the Jews. And they say, look at what these Jews do to the poor Palestinians. But as it turns out, the Palestinian people you gotta understand the history there. Uh, when did it become Palestine? And who were the Palestinians? Well, the, the word Palestine, it comes from the word Philistine, and that, you recognize that in the Bible. The Philistines were enemies of Israel. Who were the Philistines, Arabs? Nope. The Philistines were Syrophoenician people that came in the Mediterranean Sea and came down by ships to the southern region of Israel and lived in Ashkelon, Ashdod, Goth, uh, all those places. And they were horrible enemies of Israel. Goliath was a Philistine. David killed Goliath. You all know that story. And they were bitter enemies for years. Well, not long after Solomon's reign, the Philistines were finally completely wiped out by the, by the Jews. So the Jews did wipe out the original Philistines. That's true. Uh, Palestinians, you might call them. Well, then why was it called Palestine? When did that happen? Well, remember the 666 years of the Roman rule over the land of Judea? Um, it was uh, about 100 years after Jesus died and rose from the grave, an uh, emperor came along named Hadrian. 
And Hadrian hated the Jews. You can remember Hadrian who hated the Jews, not, not new information. But um, Hadrian said, uh, he made laws. Like if you see two Jews talking in Jerusalem, um, by the way, in AD 70, Titus Longimaeus crushed Jerusalem completely um, and drove the Jews largely out of the land. But the few Jews that were left after AD 70, Hadrian said, if you see two Jews talking together, you are within your legal right to kill them both. That was a law signed by Hadrian. He also said, we're no longer gonna call this land Israel, we're gonna call it Palestine, or Palestina is what he called it. Um, and, he, and the reason he chose that is he knew the Philistines were ancient enemies of the Jews, and he thought, we're gonna spite the Jews and we're gonna name it Palestina. And they changed the name of Jerusalem to Alia Capitolina for a short time. Why? Because he wanted the, the names associated with the Jews to be all wiped out. And he was successful, and it stayed Palestine for centuries after that. Um, so the question is, who are the Palestinians? The answer is real simple. Anybody who lived in Palestine from the time uh, Hadrian renamed Israel, uh, anybody who lived in Palestine, that was a Palestinian. And it, Palestinians were Jews and Arabs and Bedouins and all the people that lived there. It's, if you don't believe me, I've got a newspaper at home I should bring it, I keep forgetting to bring it. I probably can't find it, it's in one of my boxes somewhere. But it's a newspaper I have from 1924, the Palestinian Post. And, um, and the Palestinian Post, if, if you hold it up, it's 1924, it's, 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 it's a Palestinian Post and the editors and the writers, they're all Jews. And there's also a picture of the Palestinian orchestra on one of the pages of, the, of this newspaper. And guess who the Palestinian orchestra? Bunch of Jewish musicians. They were all part of the Palestinian orchestra. This is as, as recent as 1924. It was in the 1950s, if you remember Yasser Arafat, he came along and started kind of this movement uh, and he even called it the Palestinian, ultimately it became the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO. Arafat you know, wore the Palestinian black and white scarf and it became sort of a mark of Palestinian people. Um, but they made the argument that the Jews, they were starting to make a narrative that the Jews wiped out the Palestinians. Well, that never happened. The Theodore Herzl in the 1700s, they started migrating back to the Holy Land of Abraham, of their father. And did they kill people? No, they, 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 this is the thing the world doesn't even know. Much of the land the Jews got in 1700s, they purchased from Bedouins. They actually paid money and bought property from the Bedouins. A lot of the land was purchased. Um, so that's kind of amazing. How many of you purchased your land, not from some realtor, but how many of you guys paid the Indians for your land? Because that's, that's what the Jews did. They, the people that were there, they didn't crush them. They actually paid money for the lot of the land. Not only that, after the Jews started you know, moving toward Israel, and, and by the way, Mark Twain wrote a book about his tours of Israel. It's an interesting read from 150 years ago. And he said, you, you just didn't see anybody anywhere. You travel for days and wouldn't see one person, all the land of Israel. It was a barren wasteland, Mark Twain writes. Nobody cared, nobody wanted. If you even look at Jerusalem in 1924, it was a tiny little town that was nothing. It's kind of an amazing thing to see the narrative. So the Jews start moving in, they turn the desert into farmland and make it start to blossom again um, from the 1700s and 1800s. Um, but then what happened? Well, then the war, World War II, the Holocaust, six million Jews killed. Um, and the Jews, they were more and more realizing we've gotta, gotta get in our own homeland. And it was because of the guilt of the world after that Holocaust happened and largely we, the United States and others, sort of allowed that to continue for too long 
Um, we all kind of felt guilty. So what happened after the League of Nations, which became kind of the United Nations, um, they voted to say, we're giving Israel their, the, the country. They got it. They voted it in. What country in the world can say, the, the, even the UN said, no, this is your land. So think about this. They purchased their land. The world gave them their land. And right here, of all things, God gave them a promise of property. God said, this is your land. What nation has those three things? God gave you the land. You paid for the land and the world gave you your land. That's the Jews. And yet what's happening today? The world's saying, you guys, you Jews have ethnically cleansed the Palestinians and you're occupying land that's not yours. Um, listen, if that's your narrative and you live in America, it's time to give your house to the Navajo. You gotta give it up because you're a total hypocrite. If you're, because the Jews didn't even do that. We took, we took the land hostily from the Indians. And by the way, every other country in the world took their land from someone else. It's so funny, the narrative, the world acts all sanctimonious, but uh, the Jews are the only ones who did it right. And they were given the land by God. Well, I'm way getting behind here. So there's a promise of property. Uh, the second component of the Abrahamic covenant is the promise of prosperity. I will make of thee a great nation. Question, is Israel a great nation? Oh, you may not like them, um, but guess what? They are great. They're great economically. They're being called one of the great superpowers economically now. In the last 10 years, um, you gotta give Benjamin Netanyahu the credit for this. He turned uh, Israel into a economic superpower right now. They're great militarily. Some would argue the Mossad and the IDF, there's no one that even comes close to their abilities. Even though they're a tiny little army in a tiny little land, they've been prosperous. I will make of thee a great nation. Um, the third component here in verse three is he says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, a promise of protection. Lord, Lord says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. Um, now this is a promise of the Abrahamic covenant. And boy, if you know how this has worked out, if you wanna study miraculous wars, read about the Yom Kippur war that happened 50 years ago. That was a miraculous war or the six day war or the war of independence. These are wars the Jews should have been crushed by the five neighboring Arab nations that were attacking them. Uh, the day after they became a little nation in May 14th, 1948, and May 15th, 1948, five Arab nations brutally attacked this brand new nation that didn't even have any military yet. And how did they survive that? It's no, nothing short of a miracle. And if you track, by the way, the nations that try to curse Israel, they're cursed. You just do, do some work, look at it. It's kind of amazing. If you support Israel, you're, you tend to be blessed. If you curse Israel, you tend to be cursed. Um, that's kind of an interesting thing to note. So this is, this is all part of the Abrahamic covenant. Um, number four, the promise of purpose. This is an interesting one. All families of the earth will be blessed. Now, before we get into the main blessing that Israel is for, for humanity, let me just talk about some of the other blessings. Has, has the nation of Jews and Israel uh, throughout the ages, have they helped the world in any way? Uh, yes. They're a tiny percentage of the world's population. And yet when you look at the Nobel Peace Prizes or the Pulitzer Prizes or the, or the um, uh, inventions of medical science and biology and technology, um, the Jews by you know, uh, ratio are far and above every other people group in the world as far as contributing to the world when it comes to science, medicine, art, all that stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing how blessed the Jews are with intellect and ability and, and, and the world benefits from that. 
the promise of purpose. All the families of the earth will be blessed, but there's a, there's a bigger blessing. And I'm gonna make that point number five, uh, still under, it says, in thee, in thee shall all the families of the earth. How, how is it that the families of the earth would be blessed in the Jews? The answer, Jesus. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus came to save the whole world, not just the Jews, but save the whole world from its sinful condition. Jesus did that. We owe it to the Jews, if you would, because of what Jesus did. That's the important thing. So the world that believes in replacement theology, well, the Jews, they, they rejected Jesus, so God's done with them. Well, this is where people don't understand the Abrahamic covenant because the Abrahamic covenant is not based on the Jews keeping their end of the bargain. There are, like I said earlier, there are some that are like that, but this is not one of them. The Abrahamic covenant, um, if you know the story of Abraham cutting covenant with God and they're supposed to go together between the split animals, it's the whole story. But do you remember, God caused Abraham to fall into a daze and God himself passes through the animals saying, I'm the one who's keeping my end of the bargain, not you. <coughs> That's why you gotta remember what the Bible says. If you go to Genesis 17, <coughs> fast forward, uh, the Lord says in verse seven, he says, and I will establish my covenant, this is the Abrahamic covenant, between me and thee and in thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. Um, this is an important thing, everlasting. This is, this is huge. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. When people say the Jews have no right to be in the land, they're making God a liar. I hope you know that. The Jews need to give up their land. You're just saying, I don't believe Genesis 17, seven through eight. Because when God meant everlasting, he actually meant until you kind of blow it. That's not what it says here. The, the covenant between God and the Jews is an everlasting covenant and the land that they live in is an everlasting possession. Um, the love story between God and Israel helps you and me as Gentiles grasp the character of God. That God, uh, we learn of his enduring, lasting compassion, even when this little stinkers, the Jews, were really bad and did horrible things. They were worshiping idols and rejecting God. And the Lord says, yeah, you're, you're, you're gonna be brutalized because you've forsaken me and the nations are gonna trounce you, but I still love you. He tried to protect them from that, but when they said, no, we're gonna do it our own way, stubbornly, the Lord says, okay, but I still love you and I still have a plan for you. Some of you parents know how this feels. If you're a parent, you want your kids to do well, but when they rebel and get upset and angry and think you're a total jerk and all that stuff, you still love them, but they, they don't necessarily love you. That, that's the relationship we see. And in spite of repeated failings of Israel, there remains a plan and a purpose that God has for the Jews. And the reason that's important is just despite, you know, the failings in my life, the, the mistakes I've made and the sins I've committed, um, there remains a plan and a purpose for me. God is faithful as he is to the Jews. The faithfulness of God is still locked in. Same for me. I love that about that. Um, that's one of the biggest problems with replacement theology is if God replaced Israel, what what's, keeps them replacing you? You're not as good as the Jews. The Jews gave it the best foot forward, but they failed just like you and I would fail. So I love that God keeps his covenant with, with Israel. That's an important thing. Number two reason why we should care about Israel, the spiritual, spiritual inheritance through the Jewish people. The Jews gave us not only the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus was a Jew, not a surfer from Southern California. 
I know your pictures make it, you think, oh, radical dude, he's a surfer knocking on my door. Um, no, uh, Jesus was a Jewish guy. Don't forget that. Uh, it's funny how people forget the Jewishness of Jesus. But the Jews also gave us much of our Bible. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament is for us too. Have you noticed the movement in modern day churches to get away from the Old Testament? It's happening. Churches and pastors, ah, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We need to, you know, we should be in the New Testament. We're Christians, we're New Testament people. Well, that's just totally wrong. Um, Jesus, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus, the Messiah. And, and we have to remember many Jewish people throughout history have given or risked their lives even to keep the, the Hebrew Bible, the word of God and continuing uh, to be available. Um, this awareness of where our Christianity comes from, Christianity does not replace Judaism, it's the continuation, it's the fulfillment of Judaism. Judaism is fulfilled when Jesus, the, the Jewish Messiah comes and saves the whole world from its sins. This is why we, we should have a, an attitude of humility and gratitude when it comes to the Jewish people. Yeah, but Brett, there, there are people that sin in Israel. Welcome to the club, you're a horrible sinner too. We're all sinners. Humanity is messed up. That's, that's just the way it is. But at the same time, we should be thankful for um, the fact that the Jews produced not only the Messiah, but gave us our Holy Bible. Um, Gentile believer, the believers, as it turns out, were dependent on Israel, even for that salvation. But I don't see that connection. Well, Paul makes that connection in Romans chapter 11. In fact, if you wanna have a handbook on what are we supposed to think about Jews and how are we supposed to think about Jews, read Romans 9, 10, 11. Those three chapters are the 101 class on how to think about Jews. Paul goes into great detail, but let me just give you some high points here in Romans 11, 17. But um, speaking of, by the way, his, his analogy, he talks earlier about how Israel's like this olive tree. Um, but if some of the branches, verse 17, were broken off um, and you, Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant. Now this is the, I want you to note this word arrogant. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Be, you know, have a reverence, a holy reverence toward the, the Lord as his relationship with the Jews. So don't be arrogant. Now, by the way, in this topic that we're talking about, there's arrogance and ignorance, uh, and it's profound. The, the levels of arrogance and ignorance is profound. Um, and the Bible, the, the, the one thing it says over and over about this topic is don't be arrogant, don't be ignorant. This is one of those, don't be arrogant um, toward the branches. Who, who are the branches? The, the Jewish people. Now, this is where the replacement theology people say this. Um, Brett, the Jews, they're the branch that was broken off. And because of their unbelief, Romans 17 says that. Now, there's a truth and a falsity to that. Were all the Jews broken off? No, there were some. And who, who are the ones? It's the Jews that after Jesus came and died, see before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, um, the, the way Jews were saved, remember Abraham was saved because he believed God and it counted unto him what? Righteousness. Um, the Jews were saved by faith, in the, in, just like we're saved by faith, 
But once Jesus, their Messiah came, there was a little different thing. Once Jesus died on the cross, rose and ascended, it was required of the Jews to say, we accept our Messiah, Jesus. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they rejected him and despised him. Just like the Bible says, they would reject the cornerstone. Um, you know, that was all predicted in the, in the Jewish prophecies of the Old Testament. Those that rejected Jesus the Messiah, these are the branches that were broken off. Not all of Judaism. That would defeat Paul's whole point. Don't, he's saying, Gentiles, Romans, don't be arrogant toward the branches, the Jews. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root or the trunk. It's the trunk that supports the, I remember watching Disney when I was a little kid. Remember Donald Duck? He was, maybe you remember the scene where he was sawing a branch with a handsaw and he's standing there, but you realized he was standing on the wrong side of the branch. He was standing on the branch that he was cutting off and he was gonna fall to his death. Of course, they always bounce in cartoons. Um, that's what happens when the Christian cuts off and says, yeah, we're, you know, the, the Jews have been cut off. No, the Jew, Jewish people are the root and we are grafted into God's chosen people just like the Jews. Um, we haven't replaced them. That's an important thing. The Jewish people are, what Paul's argument is, they're the support system for the Gentile believers. Um, we begin to care about Israel when we understand what Paul's points are. In fact, earlier in that same chapter, Romans 11, 11, Paul says, so I ask, did they, the Jews, stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, did they just fall for the sake of falling and that they'd be destroyed? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, their sins, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? What's Paul saying here? He's saying because of the Jews and their unbelief and their rebellion, it left room for the Gentiles to come and accept and believe the Messiah, Jesus. It was through their unbelief and their failure to recognize the Messiah that the Gentiles ended up getting saved and Paul became sort of the minister to the Gentiles, if you know the story. Now you say, well, great, good for the Gentiles. But the problem is that some, some Gentiles say, well, God's done with the Jews. No, um, he's, he asked the question, if there's riches for Gentiles because of the Jews' failure, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, what does that mean? That means that the Jews, there's gonna come a day where they will be once again brought back in fully included, fully restored and fully believing in Jesus the Messiah. See, this is, this is the third component that you need to know. Why should we care about Israel? Well, I've already kind of told you God's covenant with Abraham, number one. Spiritual inheritance through the Jewish people, number two. But number three, the future restoration of Israel. This is something the Bible tells us all about over and over again. Both literally just says it, but figuratively points to it all throughout the Bible, the restoration of Israel. Um, and see, those that say, but Brett, those Jews rejected Jesus. Um, so the, uh, you know, the you know, Israelis, because of that, they're, they're cut off. Those horrible Jews need to accept Jesus. Well, um, here's the answer to that, they will. The Jews will accept Jesus at some point. The Bible actually tells us that. One of the things about this question, are the Jews forsaken by God? Don't forget the bigger picture of Bible prophecy. You wanna know the churches that believe in replacement theology? They're the same churches that reject Bible prophecy. They're the same churches that say, yeah, prophecy is a waste of time. 
Uh, we, we shouldn't study Bible prophecy. It's all past or it's already all fulfilled. And they're the ones that are very quick to say, yeah, God's done with the Jews. The reason that's easy to do you know, is because you're just ignoring complete passages of the Bible. Here at Athey Creek, one of the things that we're given to is every verse of every chapter of the Bible we cover. If you go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you cannot ignore the plan that God still has for the Jews. If you just do topical teaching on your favorite subjects, 10 weeks on tithing, <laughs> then you don't cover stuff that's important. Um, this is really important to understand. That's why I love verse by verse. You cannot teach verse by verse. All the pastors that teach verse by verse through the Bible, they tend to say, yeah, God's got a plan for Israel because you can't ignore it. It hits you in the face a thousand times as you go through the Bible. Uh, you can't miss it. Um, there's, there's some great things. Oh, I wish we had time. Um, in fact, just real quick, flip over to uh, Ezekiel 37. Um, here's a prophecy that people often ignore or don't even understand, but it has to do with Israel. If you read Ezekiel 36 and 37, it's, it's again, the Lord, as, as he says many times in the Bible, he talks about how God in the, in the Jews' rebellion, he's gonna scatter them all over the world. And he did. AD 70, the Romans crushed Jerusalem and the Jews were scattered to New York City and Moscow and parts of Europe. And Jews were scattered all over the world, not to be really in Israel for almost 2000 years. The Jews were driven out of their own homeland for almost 2000 years. That's why the world is forgotten. That the, it's actually the Jews, they were the original ones there, at least um, after the Canaanites. Um, so you say, okay, so do the Jews have a right to the land, blah, blah, blah. But the truth is God's word says, I'm gonna eventually in the last days, I'm gonna regather my Jewish people. You see, Zionism, the bad word, oh, he's there, but a Zionist. You wanna know who the number one Zionist is? God. God said, I will return my people to the land. In fact, before we get into Ezekiel 37, turn one page backward and go to chapter 36, verse 24. This is kind of the theme. I'm just giving you the high points here. But Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. This is Ezekiel's prophecy about when the Jews would be scattered all over the world, the Lord says, I will bring you back into your own land. Uh, it's called the diaspora, when the Jews were scattered. And the Lord says, in the last days, I will regather my people and, and get them to come to the Holy Land. Now, now, some people say, Brett, so what a coincidence. The Jews went back to the Holy Land, just like the Bible said. Um, but they're unbelievers. So that wasn't God who drew them in. They're just unbelievers. They're pagans. The Jews, they're forsaken. Uh, what a coincidence they went back. But they're not, it's not it because they don't believe in God. Do you understand? God said he would gather them in unbelief. That's where we go to chapter 37, verse four. There's this interesting imagery that Ezekiel speaks of about he comes into this valley full of dead, dry bones, a bunch of bones. He's out in the desert. There's a bunch of bones laying in this dirt, human bones. And so it says there in verse, um, let's pick it up in verse seven. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone. What happens? Ezekiel prophesies and clinkety, clinkety, clink, all these bones start. Uh, and, and the bones, you know, the knee bone was connected to the thigh bone and the thigh bone was connected to the, you know, and suddenly this clinkety clink and there's these skeletons like in the front yard of your next door neighbor, you know, the skeletons. Like this is, this is thriller, You're like thriller. You know, it's like, like these bones are coming together. This is what Ezekiel sees. Um, and then it gets even more creepy. Verse eight, 
And when I beheld, verse eight, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon the bones and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So there's these bones of people, the skin and flesh comes on, but there's still, there's no life in them. They're just zombies or dead people, but there's skin and bone on there. Verse nine, then said he to me, prophesy to the wind, the word there, you Bible students, ruach, which is the same word as spirit. Um, prophesy to the wind, uh, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, I know that sometimes we sing songs in church, Christian church, you know, make these dead bones come alive and we sing about us. And we can make a loose connection there as the Lord does revive us. Not the same as this as much, but we were born into death and we're born again into life. We can make that argument for the church. Um, but, but here's where that illustration does not really go with the church. That people like to say the dry bones, it's so wonderful how the Lord brings us Gentiles back to life. <laughs> Look at verse 11. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and hope of, is lost. We are cut off uh, for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves. I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you out of your graves. And you shall, uh, pardon me, and shall put my spirit, same word, ruach, by the way, put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Who's gonna place them in Israel? I will place you, Zionist, God's a Zionist. He placed the Jews there. They didn't place themselves there, God did that. So when people say Zionism is evil and Zionism, you're, they're, they're talking smack against God. I hope you understand that. Do I wanna be a Zionist? Um, never really asked for that, but as it turns out, God's a Zionist. And then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Notice there's a, a thing that happens here. When they get gathered and then the, the spirit is in them and they have now life, what happens? That's when it says, you shall know that I am the Lord, verse 13. Question, has this prophecy come to pass? Anybody? Has any of this come to pass? Yes, some of it. Uh, this is where people get mistaken, you know, because the, the replacement theology people, their argument, well, the Jews are in unbelief. They don't even believe in God. This isn't God working in Israel because there are a bunch of unbelievers. I would say, you're right, but that's what the prophecy says. They're dead. They're dead because of their own sin and they're dead because they, they, they've lost that life. Um, and, and, but what's gonna happen? There's coming a time where God's gonna breathe life into them. And what's gonna happen when they get the life breathed into them? They will know that I am the Lord. Do the Jews today largely know that I am the Lord? No, uh, that day is coming. When is that gonna happen? Well, we know from the rest of the Bible. It's gonna happen after the rapture of the church, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he rules in Jerusalem. The Jews in the, in the, in the middle of the tribulation, there's an event where this coming world leader is gonna reveal himself as to be uh, this crazy world leader. And the Jews will realize they've been duped by this guy. The Bible talks all about this over and over again. Jesus talked about this. It's called the abomination of desolation. But long story short, there's gonna come a time in the tribulation where the Jews realize Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Romans chapter 11 talks about that. Uh, let me just read real quick. We're almost done. 
For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. Remember, don't be ignorant and don't be arrogant about this. That's exactly what the church is today. Ignorant and arrogant about the Jews. Be careful. I would not that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That's the arrogant part. That what, what's happened? Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What's the fullness of the Gentile? The fullness of the church era, the Gentile era. That's the church. When's that gonna happen? I believe that's the rapture of the church when God takes his church out. Um, so the fullness of the Gentiles will come in and verse 26, so all Israel shall be saved. When's Israel gonna be saved? When God breathes life into them, the bones, the skin in the tribulation period at the second coming of Christ. Then all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion, the deliverer, that's Jesus, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Has that happened yet? Ungodliness turned from Jacob? No, we shouldn't be surprised that the Jews are largely ungodly. Um, that's just something we shouldn't be shocked by. That's, that's, not, that's gonna happen until the, the middle of the tribulation period. For this is my covenant. Now we're getting into the covenant again unto them. When I shall take away their sins as concerning the gospel, question, wait, before we read, are the Jews friendly toward the gospel? No. That's another reason why Christian churches and pastors, so those Jews, they, don't, they hate God. They're not God's chosen people anymore because they, they, they don't like the gospel of Jesus. Wait, read your Bible carefully. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, the church. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Do you understand the problem when Christians are saying, yeah, they don't like the gospel, so we don't like them. You, what you're saying is, I don't like Jews that God still says they're my kids, don't mess with them. God is saying, you should care about the Jews. Three good reasons why. Now, now we end with this question um, because I'm, what I'm saying is we should care about the Jews. And we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, which means Jesus coming back, by the way. But what do we do practically? Should we support them militarily? Should we send ships over? Well, we've got two aircraft carriers over there right now with all kinds of weapons, 20 battleships per aircraft carrier. Like we, we've sent a, a massive army over there. Should, should the United States, what should we do? Should we send money? Should we support Israel? What about the poor Palestinians? What about the, like, what should be our legitimate practical uh, thing? See, that's, that's a big question people are wrestling with. And um, the main thing I want you to go with is at least we need to care about Israel and pray for Israel and support Israel spiritually because God loves those people. But what do we do practically uh, as a nation? Well, that's what I'm gonna try to talk about on Friday at Prophecy Update, so stay tuned. We'll deal with that question. Um, let me give you a sneak preview. Um, one, one verse, uh, then we're done. Uh, Zechariah 12. Um, this is a, a scripture, Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14 talks about the very end of days. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all people round about when they shall be in siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Isn't that funny? Jerusalem's a problem for all the nations of the world right now. Um, who cares about a little city in Jerusalem or Israel? Well, the whole world does. Um, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth gathered against it. We know the end of the story, and that's what we're gonna talk about on, on Friday at the Prophecy Update is, we, the Bible tells us how it's gonna shake down. So what should our worldview be when it comes to the geopolitics and the military interaction? What, what do we as Christians, how do we think biblically about that? That's what we'll talk about, yeah, Lord willing. Hey, if you're not a Christian, 
One of the things that, you know, the main thing you, you should maybe understand is how merciful and kind God is. God looked at his people, the Jews, who were misbehaving and doing sinful stuff all the time, horrible things sometimes. And yet God says, I loved you so much that I still have a plan and a purpose for you. You might be a horrible sinner here and saying, I've done all kinds of horrible things and I'm bad. And you Christians here at Athey, you'd think I was, I was like pretty much Satan. But guess what? You could be the worst person in this room, but the, the, the love God has for the Jews reminds us that for God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation comes from Jesus Christ and just accepting him. It's not joining a church or being a member or giving money or any of that stuff. That's all wacko. If you wanna be saved, you accept Christ and you believe in the work of the cross, that he died on the cross for your sins, rose from the grave and you'll be saved. If that's you and you'd like to accept Christ, man, we'd love to pray with you. Um, after the service, you can come down to the front right here. Everybody else will be walking that way. You walk this way and there's somebody who'd love to pray with you. Um, we, won't, we won't make you do anything weird or you know, ask for anything. Just love to pray with you. Give you a Bible if you don't have one. Um, but that's the main thing. Remember the, the compassion of our Lord, the mercy of our God. Even the worst of the worst, the Lord is able to forgive and, and save. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? Lord, I pray as we close this service that you would just cause us to think rightly. The narratives, uh, Lord, I do sense that we're gonna be tested as Bible-believing Christians about your, your people and the plan that you have for the Jews. And what's going on in Israel today is heating up, but I pray that we think rightly about these things. Give us wisdom, um, not only to know things historically and the truth of what really has happened uh, versus the narratives, but, but that we'd be discerning how to best communicate to people we work with and talk to about these truths. So bless your, your church here, Lord, I pray as we go our way in Jesus' name, amen.